Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a listener-generated topic question episode for you. So I pulled a couple questions out of the list that's been sent to me, and like I've been doing, I guess, I'm sort of maybe either opening them up to some questions that I feel are sort of related or that would be logical follow-up questions to the ones specifically asked and kind of building a topic around the specific question in general. Um, For this episode, there was a kind of like a two-part question that I'm sort of going to break into two, two slightly different topics, but along the same lines. And then um, the other one is a little more of a kind of an opinion-based one where uh, I find it somewhat interesting, but uh, feel like it'll just fit in with this episode fine. So the ones we're going to go over has to do with the topic of running singles or doubles, or in other words, running one longer run versus splitting that up into two shorter runs. Now, there's a few ways to look at this. One is like, are you equating things like volume and intensity between the two versus say having a situation where doing one single run and then adding a second run to that, or even a scenario where with the two single runs, you exceed the volume that you would with the the single run. Um, For this one, we're going to look at it and we're going to equate those for the most part in terms of just looking at it through that lens, like what is the better way to go about it? Or is there a better way to go about it? I guess I should say. And the next part of that type of topic is like recovering after a workout is like essentially complete rest versus some active recovery or like a really short, easy run in your best interests. What does the research suggest? Um, What is uh, the best path forward, I guess, with that? And the final topic or question is basically, um, should we enforce in the sport of ultra running or running in general, a like first to the finish, uh, all the way to the finish. I think like historically you don't see this happening all that often in like kind of Olympic distance road racing, track and field type stuff or at all, maybe, but, um, in ultra running, I think more so trail ultra running, you have seen some situations like this where you get a couple people dueling it out all day long, neither of them breaks and they sort of just cross the finish line together is that, I guess the question that was asked, do I think that is a bad thing for the sport or is that something that uh, should be encouraged? And yeah, definitely an opinion-based one, but I'll give my thoughts on that. Before we get rolling, just a quick shout out to one of the show's primary sponsors this year, Element T Electrolytes. They are my go-to electrolyte supplement. They make a very convenient product that has these little packets that include 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Last year, I got my sweat test done and it turns out I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of fluid lost during a workout or throughout the day. So I'll usually mix one of those packets in about two liters of water. If I'm going out for training sessions, I'll also use their chocolate flavor sometimes in the morning with my coffee. It makes a perfect mix if I use like maybe half a packet of that some coffee, some heavy cream, hits the spot, sends me out to my morning session, ready to roll. Uh, 
they are currently running a special for HPO podcast listeners, which is a free sample packet with any purchase. So if you go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO, you will be prompted to receive that free sample pack with your first purchase. So what that allow you to do is figure out, first of all, if you enjoy the product, and second of all, which flavor is your favorite. My favorites right now, chocolate with that coffee in the morning and watermelon for any of my fluids that I'm drinking throughout the day or out on workouts. So if that's any help for you, those would be a good starting points in my opinion. So head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to check out their stuff. You can also access those links in the show notes or on the show sponsor website, which is zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. If you're interested in a little bit of support in your training, I have a bunch of options for you on my website at zackbitter.com. Within that, my coaching services go from ready-made plans that follow my coaching approach from distances of five kilometers all the way up into the ultra marathon distance of 100 miles. And they come in different levels too. So whether you're a beginner just getting started or you're someone who has been doing a lot of running and need a little more volume and some more aggressive workouts, I've got something for you there. If you're looking to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, I also have options of different packages to work directly with me where I will program your training based on your background, your needs, your schedule. And depending on what level of support you want, we can even get on calls frequently and discuss how things are going, adjust things as needed, and really fine-tune things for you. Also, if you're just interested in hopping on a consultation with me, that's another option. You can set up a consultation of 30 minutes or 60 minutes, and we can unpack whatever topic you're looking to discuss. So head over to zachbitter.com and check out those options if interested. Let's jump into this episode here. We have the first question came in from Daniel McCarthy and Daniel asked or said, there's kind of two questions here. One is what is the difference in physiological adaptation between doing a 10 mile run in the morning versus doing a five mile run in the morning and a five mile run in the evening, assume same pace, terrain, et cetera. I like to run to the gym. It goes like this six and a half mile zone two run to the gym one hour traditional CrossFit workout, barbell and strength, then wad with hit or other high heart rate activity, then six and a half miles zone to jog home. First of all, Daniel, that looks like a killer workout. So props to you for building up the tolerance to be able to sustain that type of a session. Uh, it looks fun too. And a, probably a really good way to break it up too. I would imagine like the monotony of the amount of time you're spending doing that is, is well distributed so that it doesn't really become much of an issue compared to just working out in the same exact way for that period of time, which I always find an interesting kind of piece to this process to some degree, or this question, I should say. So I think what we want to do first here is back up and just decide what are we trying to do here? So I think the key thing to measure in this situation is what you're trying to do is you're trying to create an adaptation by causing a stress stimulus. So essentially you have a specific intensity you're targeting, and then you're going to do that intensity for a specific amount of time. And the time at that intensity is the big mover here. So say you're able to adequately execute and recover from a 30 minute session at a given intensity versus adequate recover from a 45 minute session at a given intensity, you are going to get a better 
training or a larger training load from that longer volume session. So since these two things are equated, meaning the total volume spent at this intensity is equated, the big piece of the puzzle is solved. The question that I think people should oftentimes ask themselves with this is, is that actually the case? So let's say you go for that 10 mile single run and you have a situation where the first eight miles are at high quality, but the last two, you start to kind of struggle. Your form breaks down a little bit and you find yourself underperforming the goal for that final two miles. So really technically you only had eight miles at that intensity that you were targeting versus you do the five miles in the morning and the five miles in the evening. And because you broke that up, you were able to maintain a total of 10 miles at that given intensity. That second set situation would win the day from an adaptation standpoint. You're going to acquire more volume at the goal intensity over the course of your plan, doing it that way, assuming that maintains uh, the, way it, the way it played out where the lack of quality at the end kind of came at a compromise there. So before we go into and just say, well, choose the safe bet, let's look at some of the more of the research with this. So there are some benefits to both of these. And I think when you consider the benefits and some of the cons for both of them, you can kind of start to think about how maybe you want to structure your training. And it may depend on the actual event you're preparing for as well. Or like me, you might want to kind of have a combination and see if you can dip into some of the pros and avoid some of the cons for both of these types of setups. So some of the pros with running singles would be you're running all your mileage in one run, and this can improve your aerobic system more effectively than say splitting your runs. Uh, so you're enhanced, it can enhance like endurance adaptations by kind of having that continuous running session. Now, what I said before still stands true in terms of like the big step forward is definitely just going to be equating the quality at the intensity for the volume. These adaptations that maybe enhance endurance are probably very, very small relative. So step one is just making sure you can actually adequately execute the workout at the highest quality that you can maintain. And that is going to override any of these smaller adaptations uh, that you're going to maybe be able to drive with a single session. And this kind of fits within the same reasoning where like, if you look at just training for speed workouts, let's say I'm going to do a couple short interval sessions during the week. If I do say that first short interval session on Monday, take two easy days on Tuesday and Wednesday and do the second short interval session on Thursday, I'm going to get adaptations from that and make improvements, assuming I recover from it. But if I would take that second short interval session and move it from Thursday to Tuesday and do what you call blocking them, you consolidate the time between those two sessions, you will see a very small additional performance gain by doing that versus the latter. There's a whole host of things you want to consider before that. First is, have you maximized your adaptation in kind of more of a hard, easy, hard framework before you decide to start blocking it? Are you able to maintain quality by doing two moderate to higher intensity type sessions back to back days? Because if you aren't, you're in that same situation as the 10 mile consecutive type person where you may lose quality on the back end of that second session and therefore not actually hit the same amount of quality intensity at the gold volume. And then injury risk. You, anytime you're consolidating these things like this, you do, at least in the acute sense, increase the risk of having an injury flare up, which if that takes future training off the table, may actually lower your overall training load over the course of the plan. So these are all things to consider with that. We're looking at definitely big stones and small stones with this type of a question there. 
Uh, some more single pros. You're less likely to overreach as fatigue will set in and create a clear signal to stop. So when you think about it, if if I got to like absolute fatigue by running 10 miles, I would like start to feel that set in and it would be pretty clear in the moment to me like, okay, I'm getting to the end of where I should probably stop this. Now you can, if you split that in half, likely get that in a little bit easier. But if by doing that, you're increasing your training volume or training load, I should say, um, too much, you could run the risk of kind of overreaching or getting an injury from adding too much training too soon, because it's just a little less clear in the moment that you're doing it until maybe it's too late. Um, another thing, if training for longer events that require things like fueling hydration, it can be useful to do like race specific type training or take opportunities that are race specific and practice these sort of things. Uh, when your body's actually in a state that's going to be closer to what it's going to be like in racing. So like if you're training for a marathon and you want to have a good idea of what it's like to fuel on race day, if you're going to do like a long run with some marathon pace work in it, that's probably the best workout to practice that and get a good look at how your body's going to respond to that. Cause it's going to be the most specific to what you're actually going to be doing and experiencing on race day. So some of these single runs are just going to be a little more productive from that standpoint, if your race distance is long enough to kind of need to lean into that side of the training and fueling side of things. Um, also, there's a, a psychological benefit perhaps to doing something longer. You will most certainly pass through more ups and downs mentally with a sustained run where you don't have any, like a break in between, which can prepare your mind for these type of situations on race day. Uh, think of it like kind of like a dress rehearsal for the lows, where if you're breaking your longer run into two sessions, you're less likely to have that ebb and flow that that kind of inevitably happens to some degree when you're out there doing that same thing for a long period of time. What I find is like you experience those on race day. If you don't have those experiences in training, you're less likely to kind of intuitively make the right decision, or you might concede a little earlier than you actually need to. Cause you, you see a low and it hits you like a little more hard because you haven't seen yourself pass through that and kind of rationalize that, that that's kind of just the state of these sort of things. Uh, finally, fewer large blocks of time versus many small blocks in the schedule. So some people's schedules actually just determine which direction you're going to go with this sort of a thing. Like if you have a situation where you have like a big block of time during the day and that's your opportunity to work out. But after that, everything's closed because you got work, family, friends, commitments, and things like that the rest of the day, then you're just going to do singles because that's when you are able to do it. Um, yeah. So next is kind of the single cons. Like what are some of the downsides of that? Uh, the longer you go, the higher the likelihood of creating an environment in which you injure yourself during a single session, especially if, or when something like your form starts to break down. So before, when I talked about how recognizing that you're probably going to recognize that, uh, to, to some degree, whether you like adhere to it or not is maybe the next thing. But when you think of like an injury in a single session that's generated from like going too far for one session where it's pretty clear what specific workout did the damage, singles are going to be more likely to create that sort of a risk environment. Whereas doubles, the risk environment there is going to be from just the overall training load over the course of probably a couple or a few weeks where you might get an overuse injury because you upped your volume too much too soon because you were able to break your runs into halves and then 
increase all that stuff uh, at a faster rate than what your body was truly ready to actually tolerate. Um, next, of uh, the single potential downsides is the longer you go, the more risk you take on of quality regressing at the end of the run. So kind of like what I said before, the longer you tempt your body to have to maintain that quality, the higher the risk of things breaking down at the end of run and therefore not actually equalizing quality across those uh, across that time you're spending running. Uh, finally, for some downsides of singles, if you do overreach on a single session, you may create an environment where you incur additional recovery need, meaning ultimately pulling a future training stimulus off the table. That paired with a shorter session may have resulted in a higher training load in the long term. So what I mean by that is by going a little bit longer on a single session, and let's say you overreach and you go just a little too far from what you're ready for, the odds that you're going to need an extra recovery day to absorb that training load goes up. So you have a situation where, where potentially you could end up over the course of weeks versus that one session, do less actual training because you took on more recovery days because you did what I like to call a hero session where you have this one that looks great, but because you did it, you took future workouts off the table. Uh, in terms of doubles. So let's look at some of the positives of doing some doubles here. Uh, it's a little bit easier to probably increase volume, uh, kind of the counter to some of the stuff I said before, because it is a little bit easier to increase volume with doubles. Uh, it might be easier to say, add a second run during one or two of your days of the week versus adding more volume to what likely are already longer runs than you've historically done. So it may kind of just give you a little bit of an opportunity to add some volume without feeling like you're doing a ton of extra running. Um, in, it, you actually can improve recovery, uh, which could help with quality. There's some research that would suggest that like a really, really easy recovery run this, later in the day after like a harder workout and things like that are going to help uh, kind of like mobilize blood flow to your legs and things like that and actually create kind of a hormonal response that could potentially be uh, a positive recovery adaptation. Another advantage is you can refuel and hydrate between those two sessions, which could possibly increase the quality of uh, the volume spent training over time. So you can't practice it in the run as easily, like we described uh, from a race specific standpoint, if you're doing a longer race, like a marathon or ultra marathon, but if you are having reduction in quality at the end of say a longer single session, because you're starting to get dehydrated or underfueled or something like that, then you know, having two sessions where you have that opportunity to rehydrate and refuel in between could potentially increase that quality. And then over the course of the plan, come in where you actually are creating a larger training load and still recovering from it than you would have otherwise. Uh, another one would be like, if you have like a checkerboard type schedules, what I like to call it, where you don't have large blocks of time, but you do have time. So your option is either to do one short run or two short runs to equal the distance you're trying to get to. So essentially fall short or meet your volume totals for the day, but you have to do it through two days. I think that, you know, obviously that's the way to go. You know, you don't want to necessarily like stress, add additional stress to your life by trying to like, you know, jam too much into a small window and create like an environment at work or with your family and friends and things like that, that are unconducive and ultimately can still create negatives in your training adaptations and your quality of racing and fitness and everything when you try to do stuff like that a lot of times. So if you have that kind of checkerboard schedule, you have small blocks of time. This is like, I think a really good 
reason to be doing some doubles versus versus singles. Uh, and like I kind of mentioned before, there is a greater hormonal, uh, specifically some growth hormone type responses early on in a run. So if you do take so so two, if you do two of them versus one of them, you may kind of leverage this early run hormonal response. Um, this can also be true with the recovery run later in the day, like post speed session. Like I said, you know, you create that like environment where it's just going to have that growth hormone response that is going to be uh, conducive to recovery and adaptation. Also some, some cons or some downsides to the doubles here by doubling, you can increase the opportunity to overdo what you're truly ready for by masking the signs of fatigue better. So an example, just like it can be easier to overdo short interval session and recognize too late, like after you finished or the next day, because uh, you're like sore, tired and feeling unmotivated because you did two intervals further than you probably should have um, versus just doing a continuous session at that effort where like the limitations of having to stop uh, or noticing that you're degrading are just a little more apparent. In some cases, it makes it a little harder to overreach in that situation. So it may just be less clear to you if you're overreaching when you're doing doubles versus singles. And that's kind of like what I was saying before. Uh, also, they are less specific for long distance races like marathons and ultra marathons where running with fatigue, boredom, doubt, and like the fueling needs that are going to be required for continuous running while you're running, which is going to be different digestively in the way your body actually absorbs those nutrients. You know, those are all kind of part of the process. So if you eliminate them all together, then you have a situation where like you may be trying things that you just never explored on race day, or the last time you explored them, it was in the last race you did, which if you're doing longer races, like marathons and ultra marathons could be a significant amount of time. Uh, it could also be something where like, let's say you're trying to change some way you fuel or hydrate, or you're playing around with a new technique or a new practice or a new product or something like that. You don't necessarily want to be trying that out for the first time on race day, uh, by doing a longer session, you, especially if you embed some sort of the race day intensity in there. So like a marathon training program with a long run with some marathon pacing in there, that's going to be a really good opportunity to see how a specific fueling hydration practice or specific product is going to do for you versus everyone else. So it's a good way to kind of test out that individual variance with that one. So to sum it all up, I think like, Really, in the long term, like in the grand scheme of things, I think like the best situation is just a situation that includes some of both, where like you maybe have a couple days where uh, maybe it's your schedule that drives this, where it's a little more convenient to do two a days. So you do two a days for those. And then there's going to be like a day or two during the week where you just have like an opportunity to go a little bit longer in a single session. And then you're sort of tapping into the pros and maybe minimizing some of the cons because you're not doing them every day or every day you're training to the point where, you know, you're really putting yourself in a position to increase the risk factors by the, just the quantity of that type or style of training you're doing versus, you know, versus the other. So with a lot of these type of topics, I tend to think like, are we looking at this through a lens of one or the other versus a mixed or blended hybrid version of it, where like, you know, maybe you have two or three days during the week where you run twice. And then maybe on the weekend, you do have a long sustained run and then a middle of the week, moderately long run or something like that. Uh, would be where I would tend to lean with this. So we did have a follow-up question there from Daniel too, which was saying, and this kind of goes alongside with uh, the recovery side of things. I recover better even after easy zone two runs with a schedule of running every other day. Uh, I'm at age 58. 
So is this suboptimal, meaning that I should force some light two-mile recovery jogs on the off days? So this is this is actually fits right in in the sense that like with what I said in terms of like those hormonal responses and some of the potential with like a light run uh, as a second run during the day to kind of uh, essentially speed up recovery, which sounds counterproductive because it's like I'm doing the activity that wore me down to some degree. So how is this actually encouraging it? But in reality, a lot of it's the intensity of it too. I think um, what you maybe want to consider here, uh, Daniel, would be like, first of all, where are some of the individual things here? So it sounds like historically you felt better and maintained higher quality by going every other day. So whether that maintains it or if you haven't tried it, I would say maybe give it a try or even just try something maybe a little less uh, dramatic, like a second run and embed some cross training that kind of generates the same thing without the impact. So something like a stair stepper, an elliptical, um, you know, even just like maybe a walk. I'm not sure where the, where the walking research would be with this. I think there's probably some benefit there. Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, like in live time, it's, uh, when I had, a Evan Dunphy on the show, he's a speed Olympic speed walker, bronze medalist in the last Olympic games. He, uh, I mean, he's moving at like a six minute pace for, for some pretty long distances. So you can go fast enough walking and lower the impact. I think what I'm trying to say though, is like, maybe if you're noticing that you're not optimally recovering with that session between without having that easy or off day in between, you could explore some middle ground there where you're introducing like an endurance based activity, but one without the impacts so like cycling, um, speed walking elliptical stairmaster things like that would maybe be something interesting to play around with if you notice that adding that like easy two mile run like you mentioned is going to ultimately reduce the quality of your key sessions that you had there in place all right finally the fun question or the opinion based question from James Robert he said thoughts on ties and holding hands for podium finishes at major races good or bad for the sport so I think the reason this question came in actually is I don't remember what race it was. I think it was a race over in Europe recently. I mean, it was a competitive one too, where they, they had a tie, essentially they had like the, the two male, uh, leaders and they were there. I, I don't know how much of the race they ran together. I just kind of loosely saw this and it was, it kind of became a topic because they ended up, I think, holding hands as they crossed the finish line, taking the tie versus battling it out all the way to the finish and having one person like out lean the other, um, this is how I've thought about this because I, this has happened a couple of times. Actually, I remember distinctly, there was one race, this was years ago. And, and the reason I remember this, cause there's this like hilarious picture that surfaced from it, where I believe it was Dakota Jones and Zach Miller were doing a race, uh, some mountain race over in Europe. And, uh, there's this picture of Dakota kind of entering the finishing shoot and like kind of looking over his shoulder and like, like surprise. And you can see kind of Zach Miller in the background, just like bull charging towards him. And the reason it was funny is because a lot of these races, especially there's, there's a lot of these races over in Europe where they have these like long finishing shoots and they have these crowds just lining the sides of it. And the culture over there is like, you get to the finishing shoot and you essentially kind of stop racing at that point. You do kind of like the, the equivalent of like a victory lap and you walk and you like high five and um, celebrate with the crowd as they cheer you to the last like final meters of the race itself. So you can imagine like in a situation like that, where you have one runner who's either not aware or doesn't care or believe in that sort of a cultural, uh, um, practice 
can come running through that shoot and, and go right to the finish line. So there, it kind of generates this debate or this discussion around like, is it to the actual finish line or is it like, you know, to the finishing shoot and then you jog it in kind of a thing. And I've heard some decent reasons for both. Um, I mean, I think historically and probably um, technically even now, I'm probably lean more towards like preferring, like if it were me, I'm going straight to the finish line. Like that's where the race ends. It just makes more sense in my mind for whatever reason. Um, I've heard, I heard a, a counter to that, that I thought made some sense or was interesting anyway, was like, if the culture is that, then it's your responsibility as the runner to make a move somewhere in the race that either breaks the other people or breaks you. And that should happen before like the final meters of the race. So I sort of get that argument too, because it kind of is a counter to the whole sit and kick mentality that we sometimes see in like some of these longer track races where you get like a 10 K on the track that they're just out there, like almost jogging for the first five miles. And then it becomes like a, uh, essentially like a 1500 meter race at the very, very end where people are just accelerating at such an aggressive speed because nobody took it out fast or something like that. So I could see that argument being like, break someone two thirds into the race or make a, make it, make an attempt at it. And if it wrecks you, then so be it, try better the next time or do it differently the next time versus waiting till the finish line to really make your move. I think where I would stand on this topic uh, at the end of the day is I would take it this way. If you're in a position to be in the front of a race and someone else's too, then it's kind of up to them. Like if those two guys or, or girls or whoever happen to be like, yeah, we've fought hard together. Neither of us broke, neither of us can break the other one. And now we're going to just cross this line together because um, if I sped up, you were going to speed up. If you sped up, I was going to speed up. And it's kind of like, you know, this back and forth thing that isn't necessarily going to determine who actually is better I can sort of see that. And I think my counter would be, if you have a problem with it, then you got to beat those guys, I guess. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think like, I, I sort of think like, if you happen to find yourself up in the front of a field for whatever reason, you sort of earn the opportunity to decide what you want to do with that. So um, I guess from, from my uh, experience, just if you want that, then you probably don't want Zach Miller to be the one who's by you because he doesn't seem to be the guy who's going to slow down up until the finish line um, from that one iconic picture that I recall. Uh, fun questions though, uh, and topics. So I'm going to keep doing these type of episodes right now. So far this year, I've been kind of targeting a guest episode once per week and then a topic-based one once a week. I'm sure there'll be some weeks where, you know, either I have a race or things get kind of busy on the coaching and, uh, and training front where I might not hit two per week, but that's kind of the goal target at the moment. So if you have topics or questions that you'd like me to address on a future episode like this one, feel free to send them to me and I will add them to the list. There's a few ways to do that. You can send me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on one of my social media channels. The ones that I'm checking more frequently or when I'm hunting for these questions and topics happen to be at Zach Bitter on Instagram or at Z Bitter on Twitter. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. 
if you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a Strength Athlete's Guide to Endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program. So you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors are my friends at LMNT Electrolytes. They have a wide range of electrolyte supplements and are currently offering listeners to this podcast a free sample pack with purchase. If you are interested in checking them out and letting them know that you came to them through here, you can go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO or to the show sponsor landing page, which is just zackbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Links to that are in the show notes as well.